Good morning, everyone. How are you doing? You doing okay? Good, good. Well, it's lovely to see everybody, and uh, welcome if you're joining us online as well. So this is the next part of our With Jesus in the Boat, or In the Boat with Jesus. Uh, we made up this title that we can never get right, but it's about Jesus and boats. And so here we are. Here's the next version today. And I thought I would start off today, um, because this really kind of fits with the story we're looking at, I'll start off with a story of something that happened to me. Now, the last time um, I spoke, I talked about what happened on a coach. And this time, it's kind of a little bit what happened on a train. Um, so here we go. Here's the story. So some years ago, um, I'd been booked to speak in a conference in a church in Stafford. And I'd done their church weekend away, and they invited me to come and do a ladies' day for about, it's like four or five hundred ladies in, you know, coming to this conference. And... Um, the day before I was due to leave and get on a train, we had some really bad news in our family. One of our family members had cancer. They're fine now, but, you know, that's what happened at the time. And um, the next day, after this news, sitting in the doctor's office, I got on the train to Stafford. Now, because I was the only speaker at the Saturday, I had to go. I felt I just couldn't let everyone down. I couldn't ring up and say, I'm upset, I'm, I'm traumatized, I'm, I'm cross, I, uh, sorry, I can't come. I was like, I know I have to still be there. I can't let everyone down. And so I got on the train, and I was on the train. And I was on the train, and I was like, Lord Jesus, I just don't know if I can do this. I just, I, I, I know I couldn't really say no, but I, I don't know if I can. You please give me strength. Please help me to go and do this and do everything I've been asked to do because I just feel like my world has ended and I, and I'm, and I just don't know if I can cope with this. And so I was on the train going up there to Stafford and I just felt God say, I am with you, I am with you, I am with you. And I was like saying, Lord, you know, I've lost so many family members to cancer. This isn't going to happen again. This isn't going to happen again. Don't let this happen again. Lord, I know you want to heal. I know you can heal. And I was just praying on the train. Anyway, I arrived and they take me for dinner and I go to sleep and I wake up the next morning. And it's kind of surreal, you know. You arrive in this place and everyone's like chirpy and happy for a day out at this ladies' day. And, and in my heart, I was so grieved. So I told the people in charge, uh, where I was at, just in case I didn't make it through the day, but I was determined to make it. And they'd asked me to speak on love, on God's overwhelming love for us. And so I had all my notes prepared, and I did session one, that worked okay, we had a coffee, and then session two, and that's what happened in session two. In session two, I'm speaking about love and God's kindness and God reaching out. But inside of me, in my heart, I was like on fire. I wasn't all soft and kind about love, although that was in my voice. In like my spirit, I was like, Jesus, you heal today, and you want to heal, and you're going to heal. And I felt like I was pacing up and down inside myself, going, Jesus, you're going to do it. I know that you can, and I believe in you. Love, love, love. But inside, I was like on fire. And when that session finished, I'd been asked that there was a prayer team who'd been you know, having training for a month to look after everyone, and I was to invite everyone if they wanted prayer to feel and experience God's love or for anything else to go on the side to the prayer team. And as I did that, I looked out to the congregation. I felt spurred to say, and if anyone would like healing, come and meet me over here. And the meeting ended and everyone went to lunch. And as I walked over here, I was like, what on earth have I done? I'm here by myself. 
I'm feeling weak and traumatized and angry and I've just made this appeal and it's just me and Jesus. And so I had about eight ladies line up and I'd come off the platform and I was down here on the floor and there was about eight ladies. And this is what happened. The first lady, maybe she's like early 60s, very smart, looked to me like a head teacher type person. And I stood in front of her and I said, um, what do you need healing for? And she said, first I have to tell you. She said, I know that session, it was a lovely session about love and God's love. But he said, something happened inside me. I felt like I was on fire. I felt like I was almost pacing up and down. And I was like, whoa, this is strange. And she said, yeah, and I felt like, you know, I've been coping with pain in my ears for years and years and years and years. And I sat there and I said, no more, Jesus. I know you want to heal me. Heal me today. So here I am. When you said come for healing, here I am. And I was like, whoa. So I put, I said, can I touch your ears? She said, yes. So I put my hands on her ears and I just simply said, in the name of Jesus, ears be healed. She burst into tears. And I thought maybe I touched her ears too strongly or something. And I thought, oh, I was only, I barely touched her. And I said, you all right? And she went, all the pain's gone. I've lived with this for years. It's all gone. I said, what's wrong with your knee? Because see, one knee was like twice the size of the other knee. And she explained she's waiting for an operation. So I said, well, well, let's pray for your knee. So I got on my knees. I put my hands around her knee, prayed for her knee. Knee be healed in Jesus' name. And straight away, her knee went the same size as the other one. She could walk on it. I was shocked. She was shocked. I said, do you want to you know, get a microphone and tell everyone? She said, I just have to sit down. I have to sit down. Anyway, the next lady, she was like, you know, early 30s. And she was stood there, and she was kind of stood kind of like at an angle like this. She's kind of tall, slim lady like this with a friend helping her. And I said, what have you come for healing for? And she said, nine months ago, I was in a car accident. And, you know, I'm as better as I'm going to be, but I've been in constant pain in my back and my shoulder. I've had cortisone injections. I've had the maximum I can have. I don't know what to do with myself. So I said, well, let's pray for you. And I put my hand on her shoulder and I said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. Straight away, her arm went all normal like this. And I said, do you have pain anywhere else? She said, yes, in my back. So I went around the back of her because she's a really tall lady. And I put my hand in the middle of her back and I said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And all the pain left her. I, I, her friend burst into tears because her friend would be going over every morning to get her dressed because she couldn't dress herself. At the end of the day, at the end of the conference, the lady with the, like, all the back thing was helping carry all the equipment into the van. And I said to her, do you, do you think you should be doing that? And she said, there's absolutely nothing wrong with me. So it went on like this. There's about maybe eight ladies in the queue. But as people who'd gone for lunch were seeing what has happened, their confidence that they would be healed grew and the queue grew. In fact, the queue grew so much that people coming back from lunch or were cleaning or tidying, they joined the queue. In the end, we were sent to the foyer because they were ready to start the afternoon session. Now, fortunately, the afternoon session was the only one I wasn't speaking in, the one after lunch. But there was two ladies there who'd felt inspired to do projects from the last time I came and spoke on serving a community. So I could see the organizers getting a little bit concerned that they wanted these ladies, to have me sat in the front listening to them. But I'm now in the foyer. So this queue goes on. Now, one that stands out to me, I remember this lady, she asked for healing. She had a friend either side of her, and she explained what had happened to her foot. And when I looked down, one foot was normal like that, and one foot was all scrunched up. 
and she was wearing these sort of like sequined slippers from Accessorize. I remember this very clearly because I was like, concentrate, Sarah. Don't ask her where she bought them. Just concentrate. And what happened to her is that she said one day she was in a hurry and she ran up into the bedroom to get something and she ran up into the bedroom not realizing that her husband had left his clothes on the floor. And in the middle of his clothes was a leather belt and the buckle and the stick in the buckle was poking up and somehow as she ran with force into the bedroom, the spike went into her foot. So she had to go to hospital to have this removed and it all got infected and it was so infected I, I sort of felt sorry for her husband when she was telling me this because I obviously didn't live this down. So um, for months and months and months and months now she couldn't wear proper shoes anymore because one foot was all like this and one foot was normal and so her friends were either side and as we prayed for a foot to be healed, in the name of Jesus, foot to be healed, that scrunched up foot just went straight like that. And we were all amazed. And then the last lady I prayed for was an elderly lady who came up to me very quietly. And she said, I never realized you could pray for yourself. I've prayed for other people all my life. I never realized I could pray for myself. Will you pray for me? And she'd had a stroke and she'd recovered everything except her feet were numb. And if you can imagine, that's quite difficult, you know, feeling and walking if your feet are numb. So she sat down in a chair and I prayed for her. And this is what she told me happened after. We prayed together very gently. I held her hand and um, she said it felt like water came in and it was like the water of God's love and his power came in through her head. She could feel it go all the way through her body and out of her feet. And as it went out of her feet, all the feeling came back. Isn't that amazing? So what happened was, because people's confidence grew, it was almost like, oh, there's someone in the foyer handing out 100-pound notes. All you have to do is go and get one. People's confidence grew that they knew they would be healed. And that day, every single person in that building with a physical need got healed. The, pe the women making the lunch in the kitchen came out of the kitchen. Uh, the guys running a... Um, they were running like a project for elderly people, a kind of tea and cake thing. They came out. Everybody who needed healing got healed. And at the end of that morning, uh, the, the day, the afternoon, we got them all to stand up in a line and share their healing that had happened during lunch. And then they drove me to the station, put me on a train, and I was on my way home. And it was like, oh, that was really strange. And I thought, would that be what it was like if... I was at Peter's house <clears throat> when his mother-in-law got sick and they brought all the sick to Jesus and they all got healed till there's no one left. What if I was helping wash up at Peter's house and I saw that happen? And it's amazing. And I just love the way Jesus wants to heal today. He can heal today. And today we're looking at a boat story to help us learn how can we be part of this. Now, confidence, it's faith. Faith is the confidence of things we've hoped for and not yet seen. The confidence. Now, if I walk out that door, I'm confident as I put my hand on the door, the door will open. I'm confident as I drink this water. Oh, that's nice. <clears throat> that it will assuage my thirst just a little bit. And in Hebrews 11 verse 1, it says this. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for an assurance about what we do not see. <clears throat> so the crowds around Jesus, when Jesus was traveling 
and doing his ministry, the crowds around Jesus, they have an increased expectation. Their confidence grows that Jesus has the answer. They speak to each other. They share their miracles. They see, uh, you know, the person who Matthew talked about last week is lowered down the roof. Now he's walking around. And they see this and their confidence grows. And today's story is about confidence that Jesus is the one who can help. Now, as it's a boat, another out-of-the-boat story, uh, we're going to look at this follows on from, do you remember when Julian spoke about the pig incident at Genesaret, and where Jesus went across the lake to the land of the Gerasenes? And this was to go to people who were of a different culture. And uh, when all that miracle happened there, the people asked Jesus to leave. So he gets back in the boat and comes back to the other side. And uh, <clears throat> what we find is that I think a lot of people were waiting for Jesus to come back because he comes back to another crowd. Now, remember, let's note that when it's a boat story, it is only the disciples who travel in the boat with Jesus. And this signifies to the reader or to the listener that this is a learning moment for the disciples. So if it's a learning moment for the disciples, that's all of us. It's a learning moment for us. So let's see what we learn from this story this morning. So here we go. Mark 5, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of growing better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Notice her confidence there. Like when Matthew prophesied about the ladder going up the ladder and reaching out. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. What confidence, what faith. And as she touches him, immediately her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing, or in some versions, it's translated as ignoring. I like that. That's very Jesus, isn't it? Ignoring what they said. So overhearing, or more likely, ignoring what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him, except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. 
but they laughed at him. After he put them all out, and I like this, I like this bit. They, they laugh at Jesus, and he says, after he put them all out, that's it, no messing, put them all outside. He put them all out. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Just because this story is familiar to us, it's no less astonishing, is it? It is astonishing. His little girl is dying. They get interrupted and waylaid and she's died. But they go anyway and she's raised from the dead. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that astonishing what Jesus can do and the confidence that Jesus could help? So I'm going to have a look at a few little things in this story. And number one is the interruption. Now this is kind of kind of a dramatic interruption that goes on because this lady is like creeping through the crowd. Now Jairus, he comes with a very public request to Jesus. But this woman comes in secret because in those days she was ceremonially unclean and couldn't be bleeding around people. And yet she knows that Jesus will heal her and she takes that risk. So she's quietly pressing through the crowd, confident to just touch Jesus. She touched his cloak because she thought, I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And what's interesting is that Jesus is not consciously praying for her. He's on his way somewhere. He's listened to Jairus, he's on his way, all the crowd are joining in, and suddenly he feels the power go out of him. So the woman took her healing from Jesus, and he feels the power go out. And he's asking, who did that? Who touched me? The disciples are like, look around. We're in a crowd. Everyone's touching you. But she touched differently. She touched with faith, with confidence. She reached out to him. And Jesus is looking around. So he won't give up looking around to see who it is. And then she comes and tells him what has happened to her. And it's amazing how she reached out and took it. Now, I remember many years ago, um, we, we'd taken um, the Gap Kids somewhere, and we'd all eaten a burger. Um, and uh, halfway through this burger, I thought, mm, this doesn't taste right. Anyway, I end up being ill for like three weeks, go to the doctor, nothing they can do. Another three weeks, nothing they can do. This went on for years now, where I became intolerant to most foods. I wasn't just dairy intolerant, lactose intolerant. I was like virtually everything intolerant. It was really, really difficult. And it went on for years, and we prayed for healing. We prayed, and we prayed, and we trusted and it made everything difficult um, in our family life and going out and things like that. And if I had like um, an episode where I ate something that triggered it, it would be like, um, like being poisoned. You'd have like a terrible headache, um, aching, uh, you'd have to go to bed. It would like, it's like someone had poisoned you. It was really horrible. Anyway, one day, our friend Sam Larby that Julian was in Bible college with came to our church and I got somebody to drive me to the meeting because I was having one of my episodes where I could be in bed for a week or two or longer. And I remember standing um, in the worship and I was holding onto the chair in front of me. And I was standing like this thinking, oh my gosh, I should have stayed in bed. I am so ill. And I thought, no, I'm in the right place. 
I'm in the right place to be healed. I'm not going to stay away. I'm not going to stay at home suffering. I am in the right place. And then we all sat down and Sam started speaking and he shared a story. And he said the previous Sunday, being in the middle of a preach like this, and suddenly one of the ladies in the church who'd had a baby a month before and the baby had been born blind. And in the middle of his preach, she got up and came to the front, in front of everyone. And she said, Pastor Sam, will Jesus heal my baby? And he said, in the name of Jesus, eyes be opened. And the baby's eyes opened. And the baby was healed of blindness. When I heard that, I was like, Jesus is going to heal me. He's going to heal me now. And straight away, I felt like a pressure go through my insides, like in layers. And I remember thinking, Lord, you're healing me in a really painful way. I could just feel something going through my insides like that. And then it stopped. And I knew I was better. And I was completely healed in that moment. And then Sam went, hang on, someone here has just been healed of a stomach condition. And I was like, that would be me. <laughs> and I remember just feeling well all of a sudden. And Matthew was younger at that time, and he was down the row. And, and all through the evening, he'd been looking down the row, going, you all right, Mum? You okay? You okay? And then he looked down, and he went, what's happened to you? He could see. And so sometimes in our confidence, in our faith, in our reaching out, we've got to reach out with a confident faith like that woman who took her healing, and the power left Jesus. It's amazing, isn't it? Absolutely incredible. Number two, Jairus. Now, Jairus was a synagogue leader, and he was very important. He had an important role in the community. Everybody would have known him. And this shows that not all the leaders were against Jesus, but some of them had to believe in him and trust him secretly because of the pressure. So remember Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, he went to Jesus at night. But because most of the religious leaders were anti-Jesus, this took huge courage for Jairus. I mean, his reputation, his position, everyone knew him. Jesus comes off the boat, and, and Jairus just falls at his feet publicly. Publicly, it says he pleaded earnestly. And it's like nothing would stand against him reaching Jesus. Not his pride, not his embarrassment, not his reputation. He wanted to see his little girl healed, and he just put everything else aside and came straight to Jesus, no holds barred. Didn't hold back, kneeling down, kneeling down, a synagogue leader, kneeling down to Jesus. This is incredible. This isn't an easy thing. And that humility, he has humility before the crowd, before Jesus, and faith, and desperate, and won't let the reputation or his pride hold him back. Now, this is a major pursuit for Jairus. This isn't a quiet little, hey, by the way, Jesus, can you pop over later and heal my little girl? This is full-on pursuit. I won't let nothing hold me back. Here I am in the crowd waiting. He's off the boat. I'm first off the mark. I'm straight to Jesus. I'm on my knees. I'm pleading, come now. Can you see the pursuit? It's not passive. It's not half-hearted. It's not maybe, maybe. It's a passive pursuit of what is right, of Jesus and what he can do. And then, of course, there's this interruption. I can't imagine what it was like for Jairus. I would have been like, I'm compassionate for this lady, but I'm also waiting because my daughter is dying at home. But he's, he's there in the crowd waiting. What's happening? What's happening? And then his friends come. And you notice in what a loving, kind, sort of come around it way, they just say, your daughter's dead. Stop bothering Jesus. That's his bad news for Jairus. But it's not bad news for Jesus. It's never bad news for Jesus because Jesus is over all. It is not bad news for him. He carries on. He continues to the house and raises her from the dead. 
But an interesting thing happens. This is kind of like our next point today. When Jesus hears the little girl has died, he does something. He stops everybody else coming except the closest three and the little girl's parents. He stops. He puts everyone else aside and just takes his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. And then as you notice, when they get to the house, it's the wailers out and the believers in. Can you see how, how quick Jesus responds to the situation? Now, the mourners, do you remember we looked at this before, um, when mourning uh, happened very quickly, because as soon as someone died, there was a burial preparation, a procession, and they would bury them. Do you remember we looked at this before? So this happens very fast. So already, the mourners are in. And at that time, even your neighbors and friends and anybody around who maybe didn't even know Jairus' daughter, they would all join in, and it's the way that they did it. And so in Mark 5, it says, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went into them and said, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And then it says, and he put them all out. <laughs> After he put them all out, he went on to heal her. This is an interesting thing for us. Jesus immediately removes the mourners. They're wailing, they're laughing at him, mocking. It's an atmosphere, it's over. It's the it's over atmosphere. Nothing can happen now. It's over. She's gone. You know, Jesus, you can push off now. This is our this is our role. But it's not over for Jesus. And so he removes all the disbelief, all the wailing, all the mocking, all the laughing. He puts that out of the room. And only into the room goes the father who has faith who has pleaded, who has been on his knees. The mother who stayed with the little girl, the little girl, and Jesus, Peter, James, and John. They're the only ones in there. And then he performs this miracle, and she's alive. Now, the important thing is how Jesus, like, protects and guards the faith environment. He doesn't let anything in that is distracting. And he preserves and guards the faith environment that Matthew talked about so excellently and passionately last week. If you want a more in-depth study, go back to next, last week and listen to Matthew because he did a thorough explanation. So we don't need to do that again, but we're going to look at it a little bit, but we don't need to go over what Matthew did. And for further research, if you're really passionate about learning about this, Julian has done a series for a small fee on the New Uncomely website called Creating a Culture of Healing. It's a three-part series. It's brilliant. It's excellent. Go and listen to that. So thirdly, faith. We're going to look at this faith environment, why it's important, and we're going to look at it by seeing what happens when it's not there. What happens when it's not there? What happened with Jesus when that faith environment wasn't there? So after this incredible miracle of Jairus' daughter, where they're all amazed, and this little 12-year-old girl is now running around and eating and enjoying her parents' company and her friends, after this incredible miracle, it says Jesus goes to his own hometown. And when he goes to his own hometown, they all look at each other and go, who's this? Isn't this Mary's son? Isn't this the carpenter? And they disrespected him. And as a result of their mocking and disrespect, Mark records in chapter 6, and because of their unbelief, he, that is Jesus, couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. 
Now the crowd are amazed at this girl being healed. Jesus is amazed, even in his hometown, at the unbelief. And it restricts him from doing many miracles there because they disrespect him. They don't have faith. They're not into what's happening. And similarly, do you remember when there was a blind man in Bethsaida? And Jesus travels through Bethsaida and there's this blind man, and they bring the blind man to Jesus, and Jesus takes him out of the village. This is really interesting. In Mark 8, it says, they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus said, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. So once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Isn't that interesting? He had to bring him out of the disbelieving village, pray for him, say, you can go home now, but don't even go in the village. How interesting is that? How important it is to have this culture of faith together. And then later in Luke, it's interesting, when Jesus sends out the 72, and when they come back and they say, we did what you did, Jesus, it's amazing. People were healed, demons were cast out, and Jesus gave them his authority to go and do the same. But when he sends them out, he says to them, woe to you, Bethsaida, that's the village where the blind man was. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which are really like wicked places, they would have repented long ago. And he's saying, gosh, guys, you know, Tyre and Sidon, this was this place known for really wicked practices. If miracles like this had happened there, they'd have all realized God is real. But I have come to you in Bethsaida, and I even had to take the blind man out of the village because you don't believe. And that rejection and lack of faith in Bethsaida, the man was healed of blindness but couldn't go back to the village. And what we learn from this is that for us as a church, creating a culture of faith, guarding it, building it, learning about it, looking at Jesus' life, this is so important. It is so essential for us as a church. And having confidence that Jesus wants to heal and still heals today if you want to learn more about it, go back through our website and you can go on the search of previous talks and type in healing. And all the healing talks we've done on there and all the stories are there. And it's important for us, like we've talked about before, to hold intention. We hold these two things in tension. We know that Jesus wants to heal. He does heal. He can heal today. And also that we live in a broken, fallen world that is messed up. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom has come. But it's not in its fullness yet. And so we're in this tension in between. But it doesn't stop us being like Jairus and the lady to pursue, to pursue, to pursue. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And that we just pursue this and continue to trust Jesus. It's interesting how Jesus had faith, the woman in the crowd had faith, and yet the little girl was dead. It wasn't about her faith because she was dead. But the people around her in the room, they had faith. And this culture of faith is important as we look through Scripture to see that in Hebrews it says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. 
So let's continue. So what do we learn today to sum up? What do we learn? What are our boat lessons? What are our discipleship lessons in the boat today? Let's have our little boat picture up. Lovely. See? So this is a discipleship moment. What is our discipleship moment or our learning? It's quite simple, really, I guess. Number one, pursue. Let us pursue. Not half-hearted, not maybe, not maybe will, maybe it won't. But every person in this story, they didn't give up. That lady, what challenge to press through the crowd, thinking at any moment now she might be uncovered or noticed or in trouble. What about Jairus with his reputation? He put everything aside, his pride, his reputation. He humbled himself on his knees. And these people pursued with focus, humility, and faith. It's not about our feelings. It's not about waking up and going, I don't feel like it today, but let's posture our hearts to pursue every day. I find at the moment I, I'm driving in my car or walking down the road or sat at my desk and I'm, I'm, I'm naming the people who come out every week for healing down here. And I'm like, Lord, heal that person. Lord, heal that person. Come with your power and heal them. We're not going to give up pursuing this. We're not going to give up. Now, we've seen times of great healing where it almost seems so easy with one prayer. And then we have seasons where there's less healing. It's still there, but not so much. And that's just the reality of where we're at. And it's like the tide coming in and the tide going out, the tide coming in, the tide going out. There's no neat answers. But what we can do is look at the life of Jesus, the words of Jesus, and say, I am pursuing you. Like that lady, like Jairus, I am pursuing, I am pursuing, I'm not going to give up. What's, what's interesting as well in this story is how one person is named. And you remember we did this before in our eyewitness accounts. How when there's a named person, it's because everybody knew that person. He was an important synagogue um, uh, official. And everyone would have known him and his story. So he's named in the text. But the lady is unnamed. We don't know anything about her. She emerges, grasps a hold of Jesus, is healed in her body, and disappears back in the crowd. That unnamed lady, we know nothing. And do you know what that tells me? It is the unnamed, it is the named, it is everybody. We don't have to be important, we don't have to be visible. It is every single person that we reach out to Jesus. He is for every person, the quiet person, invisible in the crowd, the important person humbling themselves on the floor, whoever it is, Jesus reaches all of us, every single one of us. That's what he wants, every single one of us. When Matthew mentioned in the intro about how Jesus mixed with people who the religious leaders felt uncomfortable about. And that is Jesus. He mixes with you and me. He mixes with every person. He wants to come into our life and bring a change. And the second point is this. Believe. Jesus said, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, just believe. We can be frightened of many things. Many things happen to us. I know many things have happened to me in my life, and I'm like, I am not going to be a victim. I am a child of God. I'm not going to let this hold me back. I am a child of God. I'm going to pursue. I'm going to believe. I encourage us all to have that posture. Pursue. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Let's not allow ourselves to be held back, but decide to contribute 
our own faith to the whole, because every single one of us matters. We all create this faith environment together. We all matter. We all count. We're not spectators. We're all part of the family. We're in this together. You and I, we're a family together. We are in this. Every single one of us counts. We're not sat in a chair and saying, well, I will just observe from here what happens. I'll observe from here if there's a breakthrough. Maybe if there's a breakthrough, that's where I'll join in. But no, we're all on the journey together to a breakthrough. Every person counts. We bring our faith into creating that faith environment. So let's pursue and believe. Now today, the women's football is going on, and um, I love this. With, sorry, I got. I'm sorry, Rob. I have a page of your notes in mine, so just wing it now. <laughs> You're doing a great job in the media. Thank you. The women's football today, the World Cup, isn't that great? Now I was looking for little quotes. This one made me laugh. In in the USA, in soccer, there was a lady called Mia Hamm, and she was in the 90s helping really forge women's football. Let's put her little quote up. She said this: "My coach said I run like a girl." And I said, if he ran a little faster, he could too. <laughs> I like that, yeah. So the World Cup, there they are playing today. Who knows what the result's going to be? I won't mention anything. Let's just see what happens after. But women's football, previously, it's been out of sight, underfunded. You know, their changing rooms are poor. They're, they're, when they arrive at a place, the pitch hasn't been done properly. They're working their own jobs to fund themselves. Sometimes they've arrived at a place and had to stay a long time, and there's no food for them. Someone's had to go out and find food. It's underfunded. Even now, they, they earn way less than the men's football. And yet these women who are passionate about their sport, they've got together, they've spurred each other on, they've not let anything hold them back. They haven't said we're not being paid enough, funded enough, we don't have the same... Um, you know, uh, facilities, you know, coaching. But no, here they are. Uh, England, since the 60s, are in the World Cup because of the women. And these women pursued it. They pursued their dream. They believed in themselves and they believed in each other. They pursued and they believed just for something as amazing as football. But here we are as church with life and death things going on, with our bodies, with our lives, with our walk with Jesus, and I want to ask us, let us be a cornerstone team who believe and pursue. They can do it for the football. We can certainly do it together for the life events in our lives. Jesus says, don't give up. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Let us do this with all our heart. Let it not be just another talk, but let's move the posture of our heart to say, in my day, I'm going to be pursuing. I'm going to be praying. be looking out for each other. I'm going to believe, and I'm going to see God bring a breakthrough. And so as we close, I was going through my phone storage the other day because I have so many pictures of Josiah, my grand grandchild, on my phone that it's now my storage is full and I have to keep deleting. And I'm like, oh, I can't delete that one. It's way too cute. So I went into my videos and I found I have loads and loads and loads of healing videos where we've traveled all over the world and people have got healed. And we said, could we just film you? And we filmed their little testimony. But one of my all-time favorites is blood, and my other all-time favorite is John Richards. And I thought, as Matthew spoke about this at the funeral and in his talk last week, I thought, wouldn't it be nice for us to hear John tell it himself? Now, John has since died, and he's in heaven, and um, you know he's a lovely uh, member here, and we loved having him around. He also got healed of cancer as well. But this is the story of how he got healed with his back, and I thought you might like to hear it 
from him himself. So we're going to play that video now. My name is John. I've been a, a lorry driver for 40 years. I had an accident four years ago where a forklift truck crushed me against the lorry where I injured my back. Uh, I had many treatments. Uh, I took a lot of painkillers. I wore belts. And I had two damaged vertebrae in my back. And uh, a tragedy happened in my family where I lost my son, who was a Christian and a member of Cornerstone's church. And uh, I came to the church, and I realized that Jesus is real. But I just needed that kickstart, which brought me to Jesus. My back has been healed. I can bend over. I can touch my toes. I can jump about. And this is what Jesus has done for me. I can get down on the floor, I can roll about, I can jump up, I can touch my toes down, you know. I can do press-ups, I can do everything I can, you know, and I've got no pain whatsoever. Now, Mike and I filmed that up at our Penland building, and when we finished filming, um, John said, just set up chairs over there. Just set up chairs. I'm going to jump over them. And we were like, no, we don't think you better had. Because he was in his like mid to late 60s anyway, even without you having a back healed. Maybe that's a bit, you know, wild. But he's like, no, set them up. You don't have to film this, though. You don't have to film this. And I said to Mike, keep the camera on. <laughs> so I was glad we filmed it. And there he was. He jumped right over the chairs. It's amazing. So Jesus wants to heal us. Let us pursue. I love this story today of Jairus' little girl, but also that woman who pushed through the crowd. Let's pursue together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that all these things are recorded for us and recorded for us to learn from. We thank you, Lord, as your disciples. We're like in that boat with you, learning and learning and looking and listening. I thank you, Lord, for your healing of that little girl and thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness and your kindness to Jairus. And for the woman in the crowd, how gently you treated her and spoke to her. And Lord, we come to you as a church together and say, Lord, we want this. We want to pursue you with all our hearts, to know you in our lives, that kindness, that compassion. You walked with Jairus. You went to his house. You were gentle with the woman. You spoke tenderly to the child. We thank you, Lord, that like that picture Matthew brought at the beginning of the loving Father wrapping your arms around us, how much love you have for us. And Lord, we ask that that love will give us strength, strength in our inner selves as we face everything that we have ahead every day, that we are strong and we don't hold back. We still get on the train. We still do it because you are with us and you strengthen us. And Lord, we continue to pray for increased healing among us. Pray, Lord, you'll help us together that we will guard the faith climate of what you are doing. And then we see many, many people healed from this sickness when, when nothing can be done and it's only you. So we ask, Lord, that you release your healing among us once again and help us, Lord, as we pursue you as your disciples, that you will be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Great.